You can support The Historian's Podcast by donating to our fund drive. For more information, press the button on the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. This is Jim Colthart here. I'm an amateur aviation historian, live in Oneida, New York, and I've curated and researched a number of local stories that have an airplane twist to it. I have three programs. Uh, The first one is obviously Airplane Tales, which is spelled T-A-L-E-S, kind of a nice little wordplay there. That's what I thought I would talk about today. These are all anecdotes that have stories, incidences, and accidents that happened around our region pertaining to World War II military aircraft, which is my wheelhouse. We're talking uh, on the Historian's Podcast with the Jim Colthart, who lives in Oneida, New York. He's been in public life, served on the Oneida City Council. He's also uh, worked in uh, business and nonprofit organizations and uh, studied broadcasting at uh, Oswego State College. Uh, Jim Colthart, as he said, uh, wants to talk about airplane tales in central New York. Now, central New York has more uh, airplanes than we think, right? That's correct. In fact, one of the things that I found out, and I will be touching on it uh, later on in the program, Bob, is is the fact that, that everybody thinks of Rome Army Airfield or Rome Air Depot or what eventually became uh, Griffiths Air Force Base, but a lesser-known uh, aspect of aviation was the use of the Syracuse airfield um, and a lot of training, largely transport aircraft training, took place uh, at uh, at Syracuse. Is, is Syracuse still in use for that purpose? It, it is. Uh, it is now Hancock Field, and I, they used to be home uh, to the uh, the boys from Syracuse and uh, they flew the last thing they flew were f-16s I understand it's now a uh, a hub for uh, drone aircraft uh, really in Syracuse and occasionally you can come as you're coming and going when I was working in Syracuse on a day-to-day basis frequently I would be coming back on to the throughway on from Route 81 and see uh, a drone coming in for either landing or takeoff at Hancock. And the Griffiths Air Force uh, Base that you mentioned, that also has been, uh, what shall we say, repurposed. Um, who was it named for? And it's Griffiths Air Force Base. Who was Griffiths? Mm-hmm. It was named for Townsend Griffiths, who was the, one of the first, was the first uh, officer airman killed in action uh, in World War II in Europe. He was a Buffalonian, and um, and unfortunately, when you get things named for you in the military, it's usually because you met your demise. Uh, it's not anything that usually is granted to, to living people. So that's how Townsend Griffiths, uh, Griffiths Air Force Base was named. Where, well, is Griffiths located? Griffiths is located in the city of Rome, in the northeastern part of Rome. Interesting anecdote about that, Bob, was the original plan for putting an airfield was going to be in the Utica, New Hartford area, approximately where the Slocum-Dixon Medical Center is currently located, and there's a a, uh, Home Depot uh, in a business park there. But it was deemed at the last moment that that 
area that was going to be staked mm-hmm. out for the airfield was not uh, adequate. Um, so the uh, whatever political machinery worked, they located it, uh, relocated it to the Rome area for for uh, what became Griffiths. So, mm-hmm. uh, what, what was yeah. it in World War Two? I mean, the airfield existed, but I don't know if it was called Griffiths. That's correct. It was initially called uh, Rome Army Airfield, R-A-A-F, which makes it a little interesting if you're doing research, because obviously the Royal Air Force has many of the same uh, uh, initials. Yeah. Uh, then it became, then it was sort of mutated to the Rome Air Depot, because in addition to being a military airfield, it was also a site where airplanes were refurbished, and there was some training that happened with uh, with crew. In fact, one of the stories I will be telling is uh, of a of a storied uh, B seventeen named Genevieve. Genevieve was part of the three hundred six bomb group initially, and the three hundred six bomb group uh, was known perhaps uh, for those people who study history of this era was the was the air group that Maynard Snuffy Smith served and of course he was the first enlisted man to get a medal of mm-hmm. honor in, in the Army Air Corps in World War II but Genevieve uh, apparently early on she had a problem had a forced landing in, in Syracuse at the at the air depot and got brought to the Rome Air Depot to be repaired. What happened was I happened to have uh, many feelers out in the community, and I came across somebody had given me a uh, clipping from that era of Genevieve. Genevieve, like I said, was initially part of the uh, of the 306, uh, but it was the first airplane repaired by the Rome Air Depot. And what the folks did over there, and I actually have a picture of this courtesy of the Rome Historical Society, there is a plaque that's located in the pilot's quadrant of the cockpit that says Genevieve, uh, first airplane um, repaired by the Rome Air Depot. Please advise of her escapades. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the end of her career, which, again, we have to think of mm-hmm. combat uh, aircraft as as entities with a life expectancy somewhat mm-hmm. uh, limited, shall we say, when it came, when it was being brought back to the States, then you know from history, Bob, that sometimes when you pull on one string, you get others. What I found out in a diary of a woman named Nancy Harkness Love, who was a high-ranking uh, WASP, a women's air service pilot, that she actually flew Genevieve from, I believe it was Ohio, to what would become the resting place for Genevieve because it was pretty well war-weary. And what was interesting was uh, at that point, which was 1944, um, Nancy had received this plane, and along with her co-pilot, B.J. Erickson, they beat the. Uh, they picked up the beat uh, B seventeen, and to they were going to ferry it to Amarillo, Texas. As soon as they got out to the plane, they looked inside. There were many bullet holes that had been repaired. 
the engines were leaking. The thing was in kind of sad shape. But the truly fascinating story about this is that much like the wasps themselves, uh, they were taking uh, Genevieve to uh, to her resting ground, so to speak, in Amarillo, where she met, met the smelter. Um, this, this is kind of from her diary. We became very fond of her, uh, said Love. We felt a certain spiritual kinship with her since we share a common ignominious fate being bound for our figurative grave. And in, ni- in 1944, on, um, on December 20th, the wasps were to be inactivated. So uh, that is just, uh, to me, that was kind of a, it got me not only checking out the story of Genevieve, but also the follow-on story of uh, Nancy Harkness' love and the whole story of uh, the wasp. So that's, okay. that's just one of the fascinating uh, tales that are to be told. Okay. Your uh, father worked at uh, Griffiths, Griffiths Air Force Base. He was a civilian employee? Yes, he was a civilian employee. He was uh, one of the... Uh, uh, second echelon uh, civilians uh, in the, the 416th um, bomb squadron. Uh, civil engineering uh, was responsible for the environmental maintenance of the base in terms of, you know, making sure that there were minimum number of bird strikes, making sure that the run- runways were cleared and that the runway or the access to the nuclear weapons depot was available. So he did that from 19. 19- 56 to 1988. During the Cold War, if you will, what was uh, Griffiths used for? Or let me ask you a question, which I've always thought was what they did there, but maybe it was not true. Is that where uh, a number of B-52 bombers were uh, headquartered? There were a couple of bomb wings there, most notably the 416th in its latest iteration. It was also home to the 49th Fighter Squadron, which was an interceptor squadron that went into the 70s, 80s. Uh, they, and, of course, the purpose of interceptors were to, as the name indicates, intercept uh, stray aircraft coming over uh, the United States air territory. It was also a place, Bob, for depot-level maintenance of aircraft they had to go with the with the bomb wing. They had uh, refueling aircraft, um, and then there were also uh, training facilities there for flight simulation and other things. And of course, it was home to, and still is home to the uh, Rome Air Development now. So there's all kinds of things that that have are continuing to happen at what's now the cantonment of Griffiths. It's no longer Griffiths Air Force Base, uh, but they have a military still has a presence there. Also another presence, right? I mean, they they do high-tech stuff or something like that? Yes. The Mohawk Valley Economic Development Agency has done a great job of uh, repopulating the base with all kinds of uh, new uh, entities hosting uh, different uh, businesses, emerging technologies. There's a drone drone inf- information or drone program there. There is uh, a business that refurbishes airliners. 
uh, and there's actually still a uh, fixed base operation there. In fact, I will be, when I leave this particular podcast, I will be heading over to uh, Griffiths to talk with people about uh, the 80th celebration of uh, the establishment of Rome Army Airfield, Rome Air Depot, and eventually Griffiths, which is which is happening this year. I um in the 1980s, let's say, uh, worked uh, for a radio station in the Albany area. Uh, it was based in Schenectady, called WGY. I remember getting some kind of communication, or maybe I made this up because you you make up these stories as you live longer. And it seemed to me that I I got a letter. I think it was a letter from a person who said he was a a pilot in the B-52 or a B-52 that would go on patrol or whatever they went on from Griffiths Air Force Base. And he said they would listen to uh, the the station in the airplane. Uh, Do you think that's, uh, what do you think? Think that's, I'm just blowing smoke or. I can can tell you from, from the time that dad worked at the base, uh, an idea of a fun time for the family. I'm a, I'm a bit of a prop head, and I think everybody in the family got that bug, so to speak. Uh, one of the things we would do is go out on the edge of the on the runway where you could do this uh, around Perimeter Road. There was kind of a plateau, and you could watch the planes come and do what they call touch and goes. So that was our idea of a fun time. Uh, and that, I, that bug stayed with me and morphed into other things. But I can tell you that at any given time when Strategic Air Command was active there, there were six uh, cocked B-52s sitting at the edge of the runway ready to go. All they needed to do was to be – they were fueled. All they needed to do was to be armed up, and then they were, in theory, supposed to respond and be in the air with, I want to say it's either 10 or within 10 or 15 minutes. So it does not surprise me that uh, people who who had an association with uh, with WGY or Google, the, the station, uh, would try to tune it in because they did a lot of Sentinel-type duties where they were there was always an airborne component um, uh, on SAC uh, of somebody being in the air, but then others were ready to go, like I said, in that what was termed a cocked position. I took a tour of uh, Griffiths, the alert shack, uh, when I worked for the Chamber of Commerce in Utica. And this was about the time that the Berlin Wall was coming down. And there, as you know, there's often often the smartest, most uh, introspective comments come from sergeants uh, in any military, not necessarily officers. And he said, sir, I don't know what's going to happen now that peace is breaking out all over the world. <laughs> so I always, always kind of got, got a chuckle about that. <laughs> Jim Colthard is with us. He's an amateur a military aviation historian. He has stories of military aircraft in central New York, and he's kind of been out on the lecture circuit uh, talking about uh, anecdotes, incidents, and accidents with ties to central New York. Now, I was specific the last time I asked you, but let me just ask you, what are you is there any incident or accident or airplane that you're prepared to talk about right now? Oh, I have, I have a couple of them, Bob. So, uh, but let me start off with one that I think everybody will be a little interested in. Of course, this is 
this is a, a constructive outlet for me. My wife appreciates the fact that I'm on the lecture circuit because she doesn't have to listen to it all the time. Um, <laughs> one of the interesting stories is of Hot Stuff, uh, which was a B-24 that was actually the first bomber to make 25 missions. Um, and then was rotated was rotating back to the United States on board Tech Sergeant uh, Ken Jeffers from Oriskany Falls out this way, and he uh, he was the radio operator at the last minute when they were ready to come back to the states for what would have been the tour that ultimately the uh, Memphis Bell crew got the the bomb tour. Uh, a number of their uh, crew were kicked off uh, so that room could be made for uh, General Frank Andrews, uh, who was a rising star um, in the Army Air Forces at that time. But Jeffers was part of the five members of the crew that were kept as essential personnel, the pilot, the co-pilot, I would imagine, the flight engineer and the radio operator among them. And uh, But the, everybody else got bumped um, for Frank Andrews to come back along with some of the members of his inner sanctum. Uh, they turned when they left Europe and they were headed back. They, they forewent the opportunity to refuel and pressed on to Reykjavik in Iceland. And unfortunately, uh, the... Uh, uh, the weather was bad. The hot stuff wound up crashing into a hillside, killing Frank Andrews. Um, and most of the most of the crew and the, the passengers, except for the tail gunner, who, for whatever reason, that section separated. And uh, Sergeant Eisen is his name. Eisel is his name. But the thing that's interesting about that is that this is people want to know Andrews Air Force Base or Andrews Fixed Base mm-hmm. of Operations now. That's uh, that's the the person whom that particular facility was is named for, and uh, he was no doubt a right. He was a rising star, and we would have known more about him had he lived longer. Why was Central New York? The, the scene for so much of this uh, aviation stuff, or or is it just this happens all over the country? Well, I think to an extent it does happen all over the country, Bob, but at the time, the Northeast obviously was an obvious jump-off point for ferrying equipment, men and material, planes to, to Europe. Uh, they followed what was called the North uh, Ferry Route, which basically was U.S. to to Newfoundland to Greenland, uh, Iceland over to Scotland, and then down into the uh, into England. And again, as the war progressed farther on in in the in the timeline, folks got that way. But I can tell you, it was a treacherous journey, and it was sort of fast forward a little bit. People don't probably know this, but I did learn that the uh, Griffiths, because of the length of its runway, was actually an alternate landing uh, site for the shuttle if they weren't able to put it down in various parts of the United States, given whatever the weather was. It had enough length, the runway had enough length to it to uh, 
to accommodate the shuttle. So uh, I have a I have a story that uh, that talks about a, a local boy um, who was the navigator on a on a B seventeen that uh, that was lost ferrying uh, a plane to uh, to Europe. Uh, so uh, that was uh, that was sort of an interesting angle for mm-hmm. me. As a boy, I'd all often wondered because I was friends, my family friends with his family and I always wondered what happened to him and and one of the nice things when you retire is you could find answers to questions that you had when you were a kid so the 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 guy's name was uh, Lieutenant Don Cunningham Don was uh, an Oneida boy graduated 1940 he was part of the uh, the ferry command or uh, uh, transport uh, if you will of aircraft and the weather is notoriously bad uh, in the Atlantic in the best of times. And the last time that it was plotted that he, they heard from that particular aircraft was uh, it was 450 miles uh, south of Iceland. It was never heard or seen again, anything about it. And there is a memorial stone at one of the cemeteries here in Oneida, honoring him um, for his for his service, he had actually stopped in Syracuse as a way station to go to this last trip. He was going to surprise his mother, uh, uh, and did on her uh, on her birthday. Um, I guess I have a copy of a letter that he sent to a family friend in which he describes uh, what he was going to do, and they, they kept it quiet uh, so that his mother uh, was totally surprised, and, and it's probably a bittersweet ending to that story that she actually got to see him shortly before he disappeared. Well, you've told us about uh, Hot Stuff and uh, Genevieve. I, I've got a, a bunch of names still of uh, aircraft that you talk about in your lecture. You can Pick one and maybe do a couple of minutes with this on Getaway Gertie or Pistol Ball or Old Hellcat. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Uh, I'll, I'll connect family to it. My wife's uncle flew B-29s in the Pacific, and his plane was uh, part of what's called the City of Series, which is uh, was an effort by. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt to sort of thank the people during the bond tours who gave money to uh, to the building of various aircraft. And his plane was the city of Jersey City, Charles McNamara. It was a bomber in the 314th Bomb Group. And again, his last name is McNamara, and uh, my wife's maiden name. And his plane on the pilot side was named McNamara's Band. So, uh, and what that got me into, aside from the family connection and doing research on that particular uh, crew and uh, circumstance, was the whole story of the campaign, the aerial campaign in the Pacific. Um, And the reason why we had to take Iwo Jima, because from Pinion uh, to the... uh, to the mainland or bombable parts of Japan, it was approximately 1,600 miles one way. 
so in order for the, any crippled or engine or problem uh, B-29s, it was good to have a way station that they might be able to put down as opposed to just ditching and, and losing that crew and, and the plane itself. Now, the B-29 for its time was an incredibly advanced aircraft. We were at war. Uh, one of the nasty tendencies uh, of the aircraft was for its engines to catch fire. Um, and the problem with being at war is that you can't test everything. You have to put stuff right out into the field. So as a result... Uh, a lot of planes, the, the engines, again, caught fire. They were a relatively new type of engine by Pratt & Whitney. And parts of, the, parts of it were, were made of magnesium, which is an incredibly um, uh, flammable uh, material. But Charles and his crew flew 28 missions over Japan and actually participated in the firebombing of Japan. Everybody knows how horrendous Nagasaki and Hiroshima were, but little known and little talked about are the, the stories and the whole backstory of the incendiary bombings of, uh, of different cities in, in Japan. Um, so that was, I found, I found that to be very interesting. Uh, Charles went on to be called up, unfortunately, after the Second World War. He went on to to serve in the Korean War and ultimately retired from the uh, aerospace industry in California. So uh, fascinating accounts there. And uh, again, when you pull in a string, you get many stories. And, uh, and I found that, by the way, in a future program, I'm going to be talking about uh, the story of George Staley, uh, who was a key uh, civilian engineer uh, who was apparently the uh, engine whisperer for aircraft, and he particularly mm. was responsible for um, maintaining the engines on the Enola Gay, the mm. Hiroshima bomber. So that's a that's a whole separate story, uh, and that that connects. He's from Norwich, the Ryder area, which is uh, uh, southern Madison County and Shenango County. So there's, it's interesting, all the connections that kind of come back in one way, shape, or another to uh, central New York. Yeah. And so the air people, men and women, they tended to live up there as well? There were barracks, and, uh, and some of the people, uh, they had a civilian cadre who worked on the base. But, yes, the, uh, uh, particularly in the uh, 50s and 60s and 70s, up until the time the base was deactivated in 90. There was uh, there were barracks um, and NCO housing. And in fact, uh, when I'm teaching at MVCC on the Rome campus, I will go through what used to be the old one of the uh, former uh, housing sites for the uh, for the housing for families, duplexes and whatnot. And I, and I noticed that the city of Rome is actually tearing them down. I would presume to make room for. Mm -hmm. Other types of uh, of housing development. Uh, so yeah, it was it. Was, of course, Griffiths was the big economic uh, engine in 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 this area for a good long time between that and Oneida Limited. Jim Colthart talks about World War II plane crashes in upstate New York. More than a few 
planes crashed in Lake Ontario, Oneida Lake. They were flying primarily transport planes out of Syracuse. There was a plane, a, a C-46. I don't know how familiar you are with things, but the, the C-46 Curtis Commando went down. It flew out of Syracuse, went down in the Adirondacks, and they didn't find the plane or the crew until over a year later. Our guest has been Jim Colthart, an amateur military aviation historian. He joined us with stories of military aircraft in central New York. Jim has a collection of World War II aircraft anecdotes, incidents, and accidents with ties to central New York. You can support the Historian's Podcast by donating to our fund drive. For more information, press the button on the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.